0: Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at celebrationedm. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. I want to talk about perseverance. I want to talk about perseverance. And if I could be bold, it's not just that I want to talk about it. I think we need to talk about it. Like, I think we, (laughs) today, need to talk about perseverance. And it's interesting. Like, I'm sure we all have a working definition of perseverance, but I want to just state something obvious. It's obvious. But perseverance starts when you want to quit something. Does that make sense? Like, when you're going on a run and you're in the first two minutes, like in Vancouver, 30 days a year, there's sun. And uh, on those 30 days, if I go out on a run, the first couple minutes, like the water's nice. You're on the seawall. If I've got good music in my ears and the beat just hits the timing of my steps right, like those first few minutes, not perseverance. Tracking with me? But when the cramp starts, you realize you should have stretched and that you don't run. And you're like, oh my goodness, that happened really fast. And it's raining out and it's cold and your headphones aren't working because you didn't charge them. And, that, and then everything inside of you wants to stop. That's when perseverance starts. Are you tracking with me? Perseverance starts when you wanna quit. And so I guess one of the questions we're interacting with today is where might there be an area where you're on the edge of quitting? Maybe you have thrown in the towel or want to? And what might it look like to persevere in that space? And how might our journey through this life, and for those of us who are followers of Jesus, our journey of following Jesus might be different if we expect to persevere? Here's the definition. It probably doesn't need to be said, but here's the definition of perseverance. Perseverance is not giving up. It's not giving up. It's like keeping on going, even in the face of difficulties or setbacks or distractions. Like if you're on a path, if you're on a run, your life you can picture as a path or a race. If you come to a setback or a distraction, and you keep on going through, that's perseverance. It's not being distracted to the left or to the right. It's not being derailed or off track. If something comes your way, it's continuing on, even in the midst of great trial. That's perseverance. And here's what's interesting. We have access in the scriptures. The New Testament starts somewhere around here. After the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have these letters. Well, after Acts as well, the Acts of the Apostle, we have these letters. And these letters are first century correspondence between pastoral figures and first century Christians. Now, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, this is really interesting, isn't it? Like this Christian movement, that swept the whole world started. It started just a few people and then began to grow against great hostility from the Roman empire, the whole force of the religious movements of the day and the empires they trying to stop the Christian movement, but it's spreading because people are gripped by the person of Jesus, the reality of the resurrection and the power of the spirit. And so they begin to plant these churches in neighboring cities and then they need to communicate to each other about how do you follow God in this time and place? Has anyone asked that question before? How do I follow God in this time and place? And we have these letters that like mentors in the faith, pastors in the faith, would write to young Christians. And listen to some of the language we see in these letters. Listen to this. Language of perseverance. Romans chapter 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Colossians chapter 1. Paul prays that we be strengthened so that we might have great endurance and patience. Galatians chapter six, verse nine, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. James chapter one, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Second Thessalonians, never tired. Never tire of doing what is good. Don't give up doing what is good, even when you're tired. Second Corinthians, stand firm in Christ. Endure, stand firm, don't give up persevere. What's the deal? Why so much of this language in the first century correspondence between the pastors and the church? Why? Why has this come up so much? Why is this so central to following Jesus? Well, the answer is because it was difficult to follow Jesus in the first century. It came at a great cost. There was cultural pressure, they called Christians the third way because they were nothing like the religious movements of the day, but they're nothing like the Roman empire and the way of the Roman world. And so they couldn't make sense of it. And so there was the third way. And so Christians felt what some of you might feel at times, but in a very much more intense and acute way, the feeling of going against the grain of culture, where it feels like I'm trying to follow the way of Jesus, but it feels like everyone else is going the other way. But for them, what most of us have not experienced, some of us maybe, I don't know where you're from or what your experience has been, but for the first century Christians in this place, it came with great physical persecution, social persecution, and cost. For first century followers of Jesus, it sometimes meant losing your job, being rejected from friends and family, persecution, loss of homes, possessions, sent to prison, mocked in public. In some cases, followers of Jesus lost their lives. This is what it was like for the people getting these letters. We're gonna look at Hebrews chapter 12 today, speaks this theme of perseverance and they would know what it feels like to be in an environment that at best was culturally difficult to follow Jesus, at worst, dangerous for their lives. And this is the reality around the world today. And I think that this reality gives perspective and context to what it might feel like for us to follow Jesus today. And I'll just say this and then I'll move on. Any vision of Christianity that doesn't require perseverance, trials, and even suffering is incompatible with the New Testament. We need to just wrestle with that reality. I think the vision of Christianity is full life, a joy-filled life. Like there's nothing more than I want for a human being on planet earth and for them to know Jesus personally to experience that life change. It is full life, but until God brings his new heavens and new earth, it requires perseverance, it includes trials, pushback, distraction. And then the task of the follower of Jesus is to persevere. And what I think is that today in Canada in 2022, we need to recapture this reality of the Christian life, recapture this reality of what does it feel like to persevere in Jesus? What does it feel like to stand firm? Has anyone felt the pressure to not stand firm, to waver, to veer off track? I do, every day. And the writers of the New Testament say, stand firm, don't give up. And that's what the text we're looking at today will say. But I also do know there are many people here, you're not a follower of Jesus. You're here because a friend invited you or you're exploring faith. And so what does this mean for you today? And what I wanna encourage you, that is in Jesus, you discover You discover a resource, a way, a companion, a power, an invitation to experience life and life to the full in the midst of the brokenness of this world. A promise and a sure hope that you can count on. And that there is a way to persevere that is not just white knuckling trying harder, but there is a depending on Jesus that is liberation and full life. For this life, and for eternity, a hope that does not disappoint and a joy that is not circumstantial. That's what this is about today. Okay, let's look at the text. Hebrews chapter 12, I'm gonna read just a few verses and then we're just gonna look at it. That's all we're gonna do. We're just gonna look at it, flip some of it over, see what it might say first to the first persons that heard it and then for us today, 2,000 years later. It says this, "'Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses,' Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Let me read it one more time. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. The driving image in this text is what? Race. Like that's the driving imagery, right? It's a picture of a race. If you want to go there in your imagination, the writer, the preacher of Hebrews is saying life is a race, specifically life in Jesus. And he's not talking about a casual jog, (laughs) The picture that's coming to mind here, what would have come to mind for the first readers is the pentathlon. Do you know the pentathlon? We don't do it a lot. It's like a multidisciplinary uh, uh, event. It starts with long jump, then javelin, then discus, sounds fun, but then there's a run. And then after all of that, like this is how the pentathlon goes. After you've done javelin and discus and gone for a run, then you fight each other. That's the pentathlon, and that's the image that comes to mind when the writer of Hebrews says, think about the race marked out for you. Think about the pentathlon. You're like, I thought he was talking about a leisurely jog. No, he's talking about javelin, discus, and run, and then fight. That's the picture, and some of you go, yeah, that sounds a bit like my life. In fact, the word that's translated from the Greek to race is the word agon, which looks like and sounds like agon, agony. That's where the word comes from. It means struggle. The word translated here as race means struggle. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, persevere in the struggle marked out for you. And I think there's something here for us that just is an honest assessment of what it feels like to walk with God in this life. Run the race marked out for you. Joy, yes. Wholeness of life, yes. Full life, yes. But struggle, pain, Yes. And is it worth it? Yes. That's what we're here to talk about today. And what is this race marked out for us? It's the race of faith. The race of faith. The race of faith is choosing to follow the way of Jesus every single day of your life. At our home church this morning at the Way in Vancouver, we are coming to the end of like a five month series on the Sermon on the Mount. We move slow through the Bible. We're trying to move quicker, but we just, we just can't. So we've just spent like four months in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and we're halfway through 7, we're celebrating that we're on the home stretch. But we've loved it because the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' manifesto for life in his kingdom. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's a whole other way to live on planet Earth. It's a whole other way to live on planet Earth. And as you come to the end of the chapter this morning, my Friend Jeremy, who's one of the pastors of the church, he's preaching on the part of Matthew chapter seven that talks about the narrow gate and the wide gate, the narrow road and the wide road. And Jesus says at the end of his teaching on life with Jesus, says, what are you gonna do with my teaching? Are you gonna follow it or not? In just a few verses, he'll say, you're gonna build your house on a rock or sand. Are you gonna build your life on my teaching or on something else? Narrow path, wide path. The race of faith that the writer of Hebrews is talking about is that narrow path. The wide path is easy, but it leads to death and destruction. But the narrow path, the way of Jesus, it takes intentionality and thoughtfulness. It takes a daily yes to the way of Jesus. It's not just obeying him, it's walking with him and in him, finding the resource to follow his way. And it's not just an abstract following Jesus. Somebody's like, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, what do you mean by that? Like I, wanna, I think I have to ask myself that. What do you mean when you say you're a follower of Jesus? It's not just abstract, like, yeah, yeah, kind of like he's a good luck charm, right. right? But sometimes that's what we mean. Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. For Jesus and his first disciples, it meant day-to-day decisions of moving against the grain of culture and find, following him. It's not just moral principles because they're impossible to live without abiding in him but they do include ethics in a way of life. It is a very specific way of living life and it's the way to full life. And that is the race of faith. Will you each and every day say today afresh, I will follow the way of Jesus. Sometimes we say, God, what's your plan for my life? Should I, I used to, when I was in high school, I worked at a and God, do you want me to work at a or McDonald's? <laughs> and I know that's a chuckle, but we, listen, I think sometimes God does have like a specific will. Like, should we work there or there? But more often than not, please hear this. This is what he says. Follow my way wherever you go. The whole earth is yours. Follow my way in it. And that should set us free and put a weight of accountability on our shoulders. Wherever you go, wherever you're going to school, whatever relationship you're in, follow the way of Jesus. And that's the race of faith. And it feels like a struggle. It feels like a fight. It feels like Perseverance to follow the way of Jesus each and every day. Following the race or following the path of Jesus is letting Jesus be the central guiding force in your everyday life. That's the invitation. And what the writer of Hebrews wants to do is help us run this race. In these short two verses, there's tons of insight and nuance. I just wanna look at three insights, three insights that strengthen us and equip us to run the race of faith, to persevere. First, he wants to encourage you to run the race by giving you perspective. So this is about encouragement. It's gonna say, I need you to see the big picture that you might be encouraged. And then second, the writer of Hebrews wants to protect us from stumbling. Because what we're gonna discover is that sin derails us from following the narrow path. And then third, the writer of Hebrews wants to give you the key, like the key to running the race with perseverance. That's all we're gonna do, just look at those three things. So first, the writer of Hebrews wants to encourage you and I and all followers of Jesus to keep on going. It says this in verse one, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. What is this cloud of witnesses? So cloud is just a common metaphor for like a host. Or a gathering. The picture that you could come in mind, like if we're using the imagery of race, would be like a grandstand or a cheering section. Can you picture that? You're on your race of faith, the race of your life. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, Do you know that there's a cheering section? Do you know that there's a cheering section? And who's in it? Who's in the cheering section? And if we would have read from like Hebrews 11 all the way into chapter 12, where we picked up, we would know exactly what the writer of Hebrews was saying. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, it goes through all these men and women that we read about in the Old Testament who honored God in their generation. Very broken, flawed people. That's important to note. But they honored God in their generation and they experienced the faithfulness of God in their generation. People like Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and Rahab and Sarah and David and Gideon. The writer of Hebrews mentions all these people and then says, therefore, since we're surrounded by, look at this like testimony. He uses the word witnesses. What do witnesses do? they testify to what they've seen and experienced. And it says, people who have experienced God's faithfulness in the midst of perseverance and struggle, they've gone before you and they're testifying that it's worth it, no regrets. And I was just thinking we could do a little bit of this in the room because encouragement is powerful. And I I don't wanna call out anyone who's over 60, but I'm gonna do it, okay? If you're here, this is important, if you're over 60, everyone under 60, I need you to look around in a little moment. If you're over 60, just before you put up your hand, I'll explain what I'm gonna ask you to say. If you're over 60, you've been following Jesus for some time and it's been hard, that there have been days where you've thought about throwing in the towel, but you didn't. And even though you've fallen short, you can testify to the faithfulness of God and that you have no regrets, that if you could do your life again, you wouldn't do without God. If that's you, you're over 60 and you can testify your witness that God is worth it. Persevering in him is worth it. We just shut up your hand? Where are you? Now, keep your hand up. Now, everyone look around. These are witnesses cheering you on, saying it's worth it. Is that what you're saying? It's worth it. Keep on going. No regrets. This is a powerful testimony. Like, I'm looking. You can put your hands down at people that have gone before me. And this is what we're meant to do. Like, this is what I want to pass on to my children is it wasn't easy. It was hard. It wasn't without struggle, but I have no regrets. I have no regrets on betting on Jesus. I have no regrets of choosing his way when all of my friends were going the other way of the culture. I have no regrets in following Jesus. He's worth it. And that's the testimony. That's the encouragement that they're saying it's worth it. And you know what else they're saying? They're saying, you're up. It's like this picture of a baton being passed from one generation to the other. So here's the thing. God has been telling a story throughout all of human history, of his redemptive plan. It starts in a garden. And while there's a fall, he puts a plan in motion to set apart a people for himself through which by his grace, he would do a great redeeming work. And the end of the story is that God again will be with his people. Every tear will be wiped away. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. That's the great hope. And that's the great story. And we need to live in that story every day. And the writer of Hebrews says, you need to remember the story, that there are men and women who've gone before you. They've experienced the testimony of God, the goodness of God in their life, and they're passing the baton to you and you're up. It's your turn to run. Like, do we feel that in Canada today, in Edmonton this morning, in 2022? Like, this is our moment. You will be forgotten in a hundred years. I take great joy in knowing that if I give my life to the work of Jesus, I will be forgotten, but his name will not. His church will be doing just fine when I'm gone. And there are people that went before me, great men and women of faith who did great exploits for God and they will be forgotten too. But you know whose name will not be forgotten? It's Jesus' name. Like we need perspective to find encouragement. Like sometimes we act like the church has never made it through a pandemic before. The church hasn't made it through a world war before. The church hasn't made it through pushback before. We need perspective. Perspective to be encouraged to persevere. Because when we're in our little moment, right? It's like, it feels hopeless when we don't see the big picture. But what the writer of Hebrews wants to do is say, come on up for a second. There's this whole cloud of witnesses. See the whole arc of what God's doing. We've got great reason for hope. And because we have a great hope, we've got reason to persevere. If perseverance was rooted in our effort or what we could achieve, throw in the towel. But if it's anchored in the promises and goodness of God, and that he'll keep his word, then we have great reason to persevere. I could talk about that forever, but there's two more things I wanted to talk about. So can we move on? Is that right? People people like me ask rhetorical questions like that as if like I would change my mind based on it, but I just appreciate you jumping in and saying, go for it, man, you go for it. It's really good to be with you guys. So the writer of Hebrews first wants to encourage us by giving us perspective. And then second, wants to protect us Protect us from stumbling. Let's go back to the text for a moment. Let's protect us from stumbling. Here we go. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's so easily entangled and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Here we find an insight. An insight is this, sin entangles us in the race. Sin makes it difficult to persevere, makes it difficult. The insight here is kind of of obvious, but it's important for us to think about. I think that one of the things I find interesting is that I can find myself and maybe you too being really casual about sin, just casual about it. I think it's because we don't take serious the nature of sin. And I think we have an insight here, a nuance, into how sin works in our life that entangles us. Sin robs us from our calling. It hijacks our destiny. It numbs our senses. It blurs our vision. It bends us inward, and it knocks us off the path that God has for our lives. And so the writer of Hebrews says, like, don't be casual about anything that hinders. Don't be, like, flippant about things are hindering your life. And my encouragement for you and I today is don't wait until sin leads to total destruction in your life for you to take it seriously. Because I think sometimes we're casual and we're like, oh, it's okay if it's slowing me down a little bit. Like the image I have, I have a very visual mind. And so what I picture is the runner on this race is running and sin entangles. So now I'm mixing metaphors. I'm thinking about weeds now and the weeds are going around your leg and they're You hardly notice them. This is how sin works. It's like, it's not that much. It's not that bad. And you're like, I can can handle it. And then before we know it, they're growing and growing and growing to the place where you're paralyzed in the race. You can't even begin to live a life for others or for God because you're so caught up in your own sin. And before you know it, it's paralyzed you. So the writer of Hebrews says, don't wait. But then here's the good news, that in Jesus, we have resources to find power over sin. There's power over sin on our own powerless. But Christ defeated sin on the cross. He let sin, death, and the devil do all that it could to him. And he came out the other side victorious in resurrection power. This is the good news of the gospel that I can proclaim over you. Sin does not have to have power over your life. You can be free. Not perfect, but free. You can live free from the grip of sin in Jesus Christ. We need to remember this. That's God's purpose for our life. And it's a purpose purpose worked out in our whole life, but there is freedom over sin in our life. So I just wonder for some people today in the midst of temptation, in the midst of sin, if the encouragement is don't give up. Here's what's amazing about the grace of Jesus. If you find yourself tripped up in sin once, on your own strength, you can get back up again. What about a second time? What about a third time? Eventually what you might say is there's no point in me getting up again because every time I do, I just find myself in the same place. And I know that there's many of us here who have settled with habits that are destructive in our life because we've just concluded, well, this is my lot. I can't do it because it's too too hard to imagine getting back up again. But when you see the grace in Jesus' eyes, like when you see he's paid the debt for your sin, it gives you the courage to stand up a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, a seventh time. I have a good friend, used to be one of my roommates. And after like a series of breakups in his 20s, he found himself really caught up in a habit with porn. And for, surprisingly against the statistics, he, through his teens, it wasn't a major struggle. Although for like 85, 90% It would have been, but for him, it was actually just later in his 20s that it kind of caught up in his life. And he was actually having a fire in the backyard of his house with some of his good friends. And they're praying together, worshiping God around the fire and um, singing about Jesus and praying for each other. And they started laying hands on him. And then he runs into the house. He comes back out with his laptop and his iPod and he throws it on the ground. And he takes an ax and he starts to destroy it. He starts to destroy it. And when some of you hear that, you go, pfft. Could have just sent me the iPod, bro. (laughs) I just, I think that my friend's on to something because he's counted the cost of sin and he did the math right. Like so often we're like, I know it's wrong, but, and there's no guilt or shame here. I made a deal, we prayed, we locked the doors. Guilt and shame aren't welcome here. We're just having a conversation. There's no guilt or shame here. It's like sometimes we just gotta relook at the cost. The writer of Hebrews says, it's, it's killing you from the race. Like it's distracting you on the race. Jesus, Jesus paid. For, so for my friend, he goes, it's worth it. He counts the cost. But the second thing, the reason why I share that story is that's what perseverance looks like. It doesn't look like perfection. Perseverance looks like acknowledging where you're at and getting back up again in Christ. And I think there's some power in what he experienced in the context of community. He named it, confessed it. And this morning, I just want to encourage some of you, just need to name it. What's tripping you up? What's hindering you? Where's that sin that so easily entangles? Name it. And then by God's grace, confess it before God to a brother or sister you trust. And then begin that journey of freedom. And the journey of freedom can look so different for different people. It can involve counseling and all sorts of things. I don't want to oversimplify the story. There's power in Christ and there's grace enough to keep on going. So he says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And what's interesting, and I wanna just take a moment right now before we go to the third point, just to acknowledge that this perseverance, you sense this already, it has to hit the road in our day-to-day life. You know, like for my friend that I talked about, like in the face of temptation, perseverance. I just wanted to acknowledge this week, you will need to persevere. And I don't know your story. I don't know where you're persevering. Like for example, maybe it's temptation this week and there'll be a moment where you could use your words to tear someone down. You could use your power to manipulate a situation. You could use a look to pull someone away. And perseverance this week might be holding your speech, changing the channel, deleting the phone number, changing the rhythm and habit. And I guess what I really want to, just to say is that it might feel like perseverance. Like temptation will feel like resistance and perseverance goes, I'm gonna keep on going in the direction of God's will for my life. So where is there things out of sync this week where you go, I wanna get in sync with Jesus. What does it feel like to get in sync with Jesus? It feels like effort. And I just found that really helpful for me because there are moments when I'm, you know, this is, I'll just be very personal for a moment if that's okay. I feel like one of the things that I'm meant to do with my life is use my words to strengthen, encourage others and proclaim the great exploits of God. So I'm supposed to do. So where does temptation come in my life? To use my words, to tear people down and to speak of the great exploits of me. That's temptation in my life. And there's moments where I'm offended or hurt. My ego is like flaring up and I'm tempted to use my words, to control the narrative, to put someone down. And that's me. I don't know what your temptation is, but I want you to hear this. Do you see how that derails my calling? And this is why when we're talking about things like objectifying others and selfishness and greed, it's not casual because we're made to give our lives away and defend others. So now we begin to see how sin can easily entangle and derail us from our calling. What else? What are areas of our life Will this hit the ground this week? I was thinking about even just the basic thing, like spending time with God every day, like in the word and in prayer. Like we need that perspective. We need to get in the word and prayer. What does it feel like to spend time every day praying? Like I've just crossed a line in my life where I need time with God to live in his story like in the noise of everything going on around me, like I need to live into this story. And I need moments with God every day to remind myself that I'm not in charge, that he is, that I don't have to struggle my way through every situation, that he actually cares. I need that, okay, that's me. And so what does that feel like to wake up tomorrow morning to pray? I think for the longest time, I thought for like the way preachers would talk about it, it's like they would like get out of bed, float from their bed to some sort of like chair, maybe in their kitchen. And, um, and they would just like download from God and then sing songs like, or something. And so then I set my alarm early. I don't know about you. And I'm like, oh my, oh, why is, my, why is it so bright out? And then the last thing I want to do is pray or read my Bible. I don't know why. It's like the last, I just like, It's easier to put on my phone, just start, you know, it's easier just to like get into the business of the day. And so I guess what I'm saying is like tomorrow morning, it might feel like perseverance just to meet with God, but don't give up. Don't give up in the fight against temptation. Don't fight up and don't give up in, don't give up in the fight against daily meeting with God. We need that. And what I've experienced is usually after the first five, 10 minutes, there is a real bit of a breakthrough and there is that connection with God. But what does it feel like out the gate? Sometimes it feels like perseverance. What about in prayer? Like praying for? Like I know there's grandma and grandpas, moms and dads here. You've been praying for your children and grandchildren for years on years and years. And it can feel like, God, are you even hearing me? It can feel like, man, do I need to throw in the towel? And I came here this morning to say, don't give up. Keep on praying for your city, for your children, for renewal, for your marriage. Don't give up. What else? What areas in your life this week might require perseverance? Where in your life might we learn to persevere and trust in God? I was talking with my good friend and I was thinking about this morning because of that prayer time earlier, I was really impacted by the things you're praying for as a church. It's really beautiful what you guys do to like take prayer requests. And even with a big church, it felt like a small family moment there. It's pretty special. I hope you feel that. And uh, I was really moved um, by the prayer for marriage pray for someone to get into Canada for the child who's struggling with cancer, the chemo treatment. And I really wanna tread lightly here because everyone in this room, you're dealing with different stuff, whether personally or in your family or friends. And one of my good, good friends is going through just some of the worst suffering I've ever had to watch up close. Just stuff that's just the worst. And I just said, hey, dude, I'm speaking at Celebration Church this weekend. And like, what does persevering in suffering look like for you right now? And he said, for me in the midst of suffering, perseverance looks like daily believing that God has grace for me for today. And he said, it looks like believing that he's worth it still. That's him. I just know there's people here, you're in the middle of it right now. I'm so sorry. I just came to encourage you to don't give up, stand firm, grace for today. And one of our friends was chatting with my buddy and said, hey man, I'm sorry you're going through hell right now. And some of you, you feel that, right? And uh, my friend's response was so interesting. He says, I totally get what you mean. Like, thank you, I totally get what you mean. But he goes, I'm not in hell right now. He says, hell is a place where the presence of God is not. And he's with me in the suffering. And that's Christian perseverance. It's not an absence of trial. It's Christ in the midst of it. And the writer of Hebrews, lastly, wants to give us the key to running the race, the key to perseverance. And you saw it coming. You knew where this was all going, didn't you? You saw it in the text right away. But let me read it to you again. It says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. One, translated, one translation put it this way, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the one on whom our faith depends from the very beginning to the very end. There's no day in our Christian story that doesn't look like dependence on Jesus. And the great task before you and I is to fix our eyes on him. That's why this morning is such a gift for me. It's why we need to go to church. <laughs> We do this weird thing where like, was church good? Who cares? I need it. I need help fixing my eyes on Jesus today. I think if we come to see like, well, what, how good will it be? Like how good will a song do I like the melody do I really get that vibe? It's all great when there's a vibe. It's great when the talk's good, but it's not why we come. We come to spur one another on and to put ourselves back in the big story. God's still on the throne. He's gonna come again. His Spirit's with us, I'm not alone. I'm in the company of other saints who are running the race with me. And in that I find strength to persevere, fixing my eyes on Jesus. Fixing my eyes on Jesus. That's why daily we need to find rhythms to fix our eyes on Jesus. And there's so many distractions, so it's not simple, is it? There's so much encouragement to say, look inward, look outward. This is not an invitation that. This is to look upward towards Jesus in our day-to-day life to find our eyes fixed on Jesus. And here's what we find when we see his face. Like when you see his face clearly, further on in this text, the writer of Hebrews is gonna say, consider his suffering. So consider his suffering. Then he says, and then consider that he's seated on the throne of authority now. He's resurrected from the grave. When we see him clearly, we see his love. We can trust him. When we see him clearly, we see his grace. He's defeated sin. He's paid our debt. We can get back up again. When we see him clearly, we see his example. Consider his suffering, the writer of Hebrews says, so that we won't grow weary and lose heart. He counted a great cost, so we might also. And when we see him clearly, we see that he's doing the heavy lifting and he's not giving up on us. And that gives us reason to persevere. So I don't know what perseverance looks like for you today, this week. I don't know what area of your life where you might've thought about throwing in the towel or giving up. Maybe you're in the middle of suffering. Don't give up. You're not alone. He's with you. Maybe you're trapped in the grip of sin. Don't throw in the towel. Your story is not done yet. Maybe you feel like giving up. You don't have strength to keep going. See the strength in Jesus' eyes. He's got strength for your weary soul. Maybe you're wondering if following Jesus is worth it. Maybe thinking, maybe I need to walk away. And I wonder if Jesus today is inviting you to a deeper place with him to give you a word that you might persevere in him. I wanna pray for us in a moment. And I just wanna end with just one image, one picture, and then we're gonna pray. And the image is this, or it's an idea. The idea is this, there's a letting go that's not the same as giving up. There's a letting go that's not giving up. And I learned this from my friends at a recovery center in Langley. It's just outside of Vancouver. I love visiting. And it's it's a campus of men who are coming out of addiction, many drugs and alcohol, but sometimes other things. And they enter a year long program. They give up their freedom. They give up their cell phone. They give up freedom just to drive to and from. I mean, they give it up and they enter this program. It's a working farm. It's a Christian farm. There's prayer ministry. There's counseling. They have work and all this stuff they're doing. It's an amazing environment. And they go into that program giving up all of that freedom because they've acknowledged that the addiction is hurting them and others. But they're also acknowledging that they can't beat it on their own. That was a cue that I'm supposed to be done, I got it. I got it. Just give me a moment. I'm gonna just track, I'm just gonna land this one. They're acknowledging that they can't do it on their own. And so here's the question, It's it's a simple question. I think it's important. Sometimes simple truths are helpful to do, like, click. When they go to Wagner Hills, are they giving up? Like, is going to Wagner Hills persevering or giving up? Persevering. But are they letting go of doing it on their own? I can't do it on my own. I can't do it on my strength. And that is following Jesus. I don't know how else to explain it to you. Like, that there is a moment where you go, I can't do this walk or life on my own. And it's letting go. It's throwing yourself wholly dependent on God and on his people that he's put in your life. It's saying, I can't do this on my own. We're not meant to do it our own strength. God, I wholly need to depend on you, but I'm not giving up. I'm gonna keep following, keep trusting and keep obeying your way. It's a letting go that's not giving up. And in there is freedom and fullness of life. So Jesus, thank you so much for this time together. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you come right now and that you speak to each and every heart. Just just in this moment, we're gonna have a, a, a small moment just between you and God, where he might whisper to you or highlight to you an area in your life where he wants to strengthen you to stand firm, to keep on going. This morning, God wants to meet you with his grace and his love. And as a brother in Christ, I wanna exhort you in the Lord, don't give up. Keep on going. You're going to make it. You're not alone. We'll just take a moment. The Holy Spirit is here. He's doing business with people. You might just say, "Come Holy Spirit, fill my heart. Speak to me today." Let's we'll take a moment. Thank you for what you're doing today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your ministry. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done, that you persevered where we could not. You conquered sin, death, and the devil that we might have fullness of life and a great hope in you. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationemington.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationemington.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.